Welcome to the Blood, Sweat and Ears podcast. I'm Phil Bashford. And I'm Merrick De La Fuente. Today we're going to be uh, doing some Q&A. So this is questions that have been sent in and some prompts and things that I get asked a lot. So we're just going to crack on. Here we go. What bit of advice would you give yourself to 10 years ago, you? That's deep, isn't it? Don't try and cut corners where corners can't be cut. Yeah, that's that's solid. Because you'll end up taking more time on a thing because you'll have to fix it. Yeah, doing it twice, isn't it? Yeah. Some things you can, there's some places you can cut corners on, but then places you can accurately and correctly cut corners, that's just, we call that efficiency. Mm. But some things you can't cut corners on. I like that. I like that a I lot. I don't really have any specific examples of that at the moment, but... That's just a life. That's just a... Definitely say that. I had a tendency to try and cut corners, which probably slowed me down in some ways. Yeah, I like that. My thing that I would say to yesterday, Phil, now Phil would say, just stop being a bitch and get on with it. Like that's kind of like a stoic thing you know the real the real battle is in the mind i didn't really get my engineering stuff on till way late in the game yeah i've been doing it for years there's doing it and then there's doing it but i'd never like put it out there and you know i'm never going to be like a fucking you know a-list engineer i'm just another guy printing music out but i was too scared of if i wasn't good enough to do it although i was doing it anyway so it's just like that second guessing like fear. So I would say to myself, just 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 stop overthinking it and just fucking get on with There's it. There's definitely a level of just like just pushing forward and like having I feel like if you're doing anything, it's like any anything even remotely entrepreneurial, you have to attack it with some like unwarranted sense of self confidence, even if it's faked. Because you have to at the very least go through the motions of believing in your own ability. Yeah, I think I think I think that's really true and I think my one definitely though comes from being being around some of the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. When we talk and we talk quite a lot, it's really positive and we do we moan and bitch and grumble, but generally the the content is really uplifting and it's like show your work. We're always like going, "Hey man, listen to this" or and it's like lots of patting on the back and like really yeah. positive. And then you walk away from that situation and there's no real, there's no negativity there where yeah. I think in my younger years, I had a little bit of success with music and then it's that mid tier thing. And I'm sure you get this within your band where you're not like a local band. You're not like top list. You're kind of in the middle. Yeah. And so then you're on the end of like, the mid-tier bullshittery from people that are jealous or yeah. are shitting on it and because they hate it because they ain't it. Yeah. And then, you know, you get to the A-tier stuff and that's where they start turning up your house. And, yeah, you know, we're never going to do that. We're too old and yeah. whatever. I think I had that in my mid-twenties and then you just go, oh, yeah. I, but I, and you start believing it when you hear it enough. Yeah. And so I'd go back and be like, no, just fucking crack on. Just get on with it. Yeah. People have different mindsets towards that kind of thing. And you can't be around people for too long that are so, like, that are scared of everything and scared of, like, 
um, it's scared of anything that isn't just grey mediocre. Yeah. It's, it, it, those people are the worst people. They're, they're worse to hang around with than like outwardly negative people, I think. Social vampires. People, is... yeah, who are just like, oh, yeah, but... But what what about what about a real job? That might fail. That might fail, bro. Oh, careful! Watch out for that. Yeah, I just can't. I can't be around that. Fuck anymore. off! <laughs> yeah, I just I just can't deal with it anymore. It just like I'm just like oh, I'm exhausted. And it is, you know, like as I'm getting older, I'm obviously getting a little bit more hippie. And it is like you know we talk about vibe a lot when we're tracking stuff. But you know, if you're in a room with someone and they're punting out negative vibes, you can feel that it is it it. It's a negative vibe. It's a yeah, and it oh, it's just like it makes me. Ugh. On the flip side of that, there's a uh, there's very few things as powerful as being like the positive force in a room. If I you're agree. the guy and everyone's like, particularly when you're running a session and you've got a bunch of people who you haven't met before, and like who maybe haven't met each other really before, they're all a bit nervous, like. If you if you can be the one who just fills the room and the place with positivity and like a sort of a, a get up and go mindset, then you'll leave that lasting impression with them, and that's that that and your session will go brilliantly. Yeah, and then everyone will feel confident. Everyone will be everyone will feel great. They'll come out of that session thinking that was a really good experience. I really enjoyed that. And I th- I think that holds so much weight, so much weight in music. You know, there's. Yeah, some of the other questions will lead more into this, but I just, yeah, totally, that's so on point. Um, So, question number two. What failure taught you the biggest lesson? Hmm. I think... I had a never-ending list, but I remember some one client I worked with where I fucked it up a few years ago, but I just didn't really get the project. I was in a weird headspace the whole time. I didn't. And we ended up sort of clashing in a really weird, uncomfortable way over it because I was trying to be too headstrong. He was a very headstrong guy as well. He wanted a thing. He insisted on like like paying a certain way, which th- like threw, threw me off and mm. got made me get my back up for no reason at all. And... The, yeah, the project ended up just not happening. It was like complete failure on like all the way round. And that I very much learned from that to be much better at working with people, much better at communicating and communicating directly. And also being being just straight up when something's not when you think when you think something's not gonna work, or if you think that you should do things a certain way, but they want to do things another way. Like there are much better ways of going around it instead of just getting your back up and being an ass. And I was, I got my back up and I wasn't ass. Mm. And then the whole thing flopped and I lost out on thousands from that project. But these things happen. So I had to pull my finger out my ass and like, and work on myself in certain ways. Yeah. So that that doesn't. That could never happen again. And I don't think that could ever happen again. That was also a moment where I was kind of trying to crossing a threshold into really properly being a producer full time. And it was just that 
knocked my confidence for a long time. Because I was like, ah, oh, I completely fucked that one up. Completely fucked it up. And now, obviously not mentioning any names at all. But now, like, I, I just have a much better way of dealing with things. And I'm much better at, like, finding solutions to problems. And I'm way less, way less ego-driven about it. And because that what got me stuck is just being stubborn. Yeah. And um, being an arse. Mm. But also be, being an arse and stubborn, but being terrible at communicating it as well at the same time. So it's like a, like a trifecta of just awful like personality traits just, <laughs> just yeah. clashing. The blessing and the curse is self-awareness, and that's what that is. But my biggest takeaway of like, you know, knowing you and working with you over the years is, you know, I'm very straight talking. You know, what you see is what you get with me. But what you've kind of like rattled into me over the years and like, you know, you've been hammering the nail in is like, yeah, be forward in a session, but be kind and don't yeah. be a dick. Keep the energy up. And if even if someone's being a dick, you don't have to like sit there and be all hierarchical and gatekeepy and make people feel shit about stuff. Just get it done and keep the energy up. And that's like yeah, one it, of my biggest takeaways from your workflow is use my energy of being forward. Yeah. But then just like knock the corners off a little bit and be kind with it. Yeah. Because fundamentally, like it's your job if you're running a session to be to keep the mood high or like, whatever happens. And eat, like it's it's impossible for a dickhead to be a dickhead. If the mood in the room is great, if you kill it's someone really with kindness, hard. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard. If someone's someone's in a hump and they're fucking, oh, they're ready to kind of go. Like you just being not kind and funny and just like like if someone's clearly in a bad mood or something, you can kind of engage with them on that and it's fine. You don't need to be weird and forward. Like you're not their therapist, but you also want to be like, hey, look, we're here to. We actually are here to enjoy ourselves. Like we're here to have fun. Read in the room. Let's all do that. Let's all let's yeah. all let's all get on. I think we've both done stuff in the last couple of years where sessions run and it hasn't, you know, the session hasn't got put out because yeah. one of the people involved just sat there not said fuck all until it's all done. And they're like, oh, I think we need to do that again. Well, they should have just been up front, but they haven't, they haven't got the, the capacity or the toolbox to, in that moment, you know, break those barriers and go, hey, I don't think this is working, but keep the energy up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can think of two situations straight Yeah, exactly. Up. Same. Um, I know the ones you're thinking. And it, it's just really interesting because it's like, it is, it's a, it's a toolbox. Yeah. And you've definitely got that down, you know. And as I say, that's something you've, you've gifted me with. And you, you, you get much better performances from people if they feel confident. Mm. Th- they feel good about themselves. They know they can do it. They know that, like, like fundamentally, I'm there to help facilitate what they're trying to do. Yeah. And they're having a good time. You, you're just going to get better results. You and are. then they'll also... The, the, the flip side of that, which it took me years to realise, is if a band or an artist has really enjoyed the session, they're so much more inclined to do the work on the back end when the song's done or whatever in terms of promotion, marketing, because the whole experience was great and they're really proud of it. Mm. And they want to push it more. If they hated doing it, they're very much like, oh, let's just get that one out. KG, yeah. No, and I then they're, they're less to likely to promote it, which in turn, a couple of years down the line, is worse for you. 
because you've got this something they've just started stuck it on YouTube because they had a bad time doing it. And you know, say so it's very like on my, you know, mind at the minute. And you know, I spoke to Ross about this the other day. It's this, these recuts of songs that I recorded twenty years ago. That yeah. was exactly what you've just talked about. Yeah, the whole thing. And I was just like, this is shit. This is shit. This is shit. And it's obviously been playing on my mind for half of my fucking yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but we're gonna, we're gonna solve that yeah, trauma. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's fucking true. So cool. What production trend or technique? Either past or present, do you think is total bullshit? <laughs> um, that's a tricky one. That's actually a really hard question. It is a hard question. I'll take a slightly different angle to it. I think 1176s are overrated on vocals. I, yeah. Massively. So I wouldn't exactly call that like a production trend. Well, it, it, but it, it kind of is. It, well, I'm trying to think of like a proper like. I think they. I think it is a trend because you look at you look at how much the Euries are now, and they're ten thousand pounds. So it obviously is because a Some few kind of trend. You know, kind of fifteen years ago they were like four hundred pounds. So yeah. there's different things happening. There's a demand that's appeared. Yeah, and it's. I think you've got these OG bits of gear that people are like. Oh, you know, my record would be shit if I don't have a U87 and a. Neve going into a eleven seventy six. Yeah, I think that that's actually probably a, a a better, more concise answer to this. The trend of feeling the need to use analog emulations all over the place. The the trend of like feeling like you need to have like the highest quality everything. Yeah, I I can totally go with that. Yeah, you don't pass your driving test and get into a, like a. Lambo, a Lamborghini, because you're not, you're not going to. It's the same with guitar. You know, your first guitar is a banger, and you go, yeah, I've kind of outgrown that. I kind of know what pickups. Still I got need my now. first guitar. Oh it's yeah, the, over bad there, man. the Pacifica still yeah. gets used. A bad example because they're really good. But, I love you know, that. My first guitar was like some absolute tanglewood poo with like nice. plastic tuning pegs. Mm. I got to a stage where I'm like, this isn't really cutting it. it, yeah. it you know, it doesn't really stay in tune. The action's bad. The nuts bad. Then you upgrade because you grow into it. You know, there are people that's first guitar is like a couple of grand or it's, this is the same. It's like, yeah, you may be using the best gear, but have you grown into that? And are your songs actually that good? And as we know, you know, we could record with a 2i2 yeah. and it'd sound just as good as saying that's gone through a HD rig. It doesn't matter. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I feel like there's way more stuff that falls under this category i think it's such a but that's like what's on your brain at the minute so yeah. i think it's relative and my, mine's not too dissimilar like i was thinking about this the other day and i was speaking to ross uh about guitar gear and we were talking about kempers and everything else blah 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 amps and i think the thing and this is obviously a certain crowd that still want this in studio they think their amp sim or their neural or their Kemper, it, it's all right. But if we go to a studio and we mic it up, that'll be better. And they're fucking wrong. Yeah. I mean, you might be lucky and maybe it is better, but it's, there's no higher likelihood of it being better than using a different amp sim or yeah, a different modeler. There's just, there's just like going to put you on the spot here. So I think. You were doing a record and I was kicking... I can't remember if I was... Yeah, I was kicking about. And when I came in and helped with the guitar setup and we mic'd a cab up 
and we had a 5150 in my Mesa, and then we had like a whole load of pedals. And we spent ages on that, and we were like, yeah, yeah. And I'm guessing that tone we captured is not on that record. Depends which record you're talking about. Is there, is there one we... Is it the one where we've got loads of Kemper profiles of the no, rigs? No, it was the one after that where you had that white 5150 and my Mesa. It was a, it was for your band. There's a single, I think. Oh, yeah, no, we didn't use any no, of that. No, of course you didn't. Yeah. Because you were it was from, fun to track with it. Yeah, it was great. And we thought it sounded good contextually. But it's this other thing. You know, we had a Rode NT1 and a Neve Pre. We were talking about this before. And you were like, yeah, that sounds buff. And then you did put it up against a, a chain that's way better you'll be able to hear contextually that they're very different. Yeah. But, you know, and this is the thing. We need to we need to get it in right. Yeah. Bullshit. Get it in right. What, what the fuck is that? Like, get it in right playing? Well, that might change when you've edited the drums yeah. more or print a tone that then doesn't work. It just fucking gets my and nerves. Way, when you say get it in right, I think the correct way of saying that, I think what you're trying to say is get it in right as in make sure... Whatever you're tracking it on, even if it's the, the cheapest piece of shit, just get get the gain structure right on mm. that whatever the thing is, and then you'll have a very usable thing. And yeah. then the rest of it doesn't really matter. This whole printing everything, printing everything, making decisions, la 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 on the spot, that's great up to a certain level of like frequency range and dynamic intensity. So anything yeah. up to like a hard rock record, wicked, that's print it all great. Yeah. Then you go like anything heavier than that, and you've just caused yourself loads of hell. trouble, and um, you've locked yourself into a certain kind of style as well by doing that. Yeah. Because doing that will inevitably kind of make things sound more old school. Yeah, and that that's one of those. Maybe so, that's what you're after, but if you're not, then yeah. So that's my that's my thing that like yeah, just gets on my nerves. Number four. What do you do to keep your mental health in check within music? Um, try and develop routines and try and stick to them, even if they're super basic. It's very important if you do studio stuff as well to try and get as much actual sunlight as possible. Mm. So I haven't done it today because I've kind of just woken up and done a podcast. But normally, for example, I'll get up I'll drink some water and then I'll try and get outside just ASAP, even if that means I'll just walk to the shops just to get that, to get stuff moving and to get some sunlight. That'll set you up better for the day, much better than doing uh, like really anything else. Just that kind of basic routine will set you off on the right foot. And then by by doing that, you're, it, it's an action that you can just do however you're feeling and the the act of doing it itself will get everything going. It'll start your whole brain system. Your like blood vessels will like clear themselves out. You'll you'll feel a bit more energized, a bit more awake, and then you'll be able to like tackle stuff that comes at you during the day. Otherwise, you kind of stay in a sort of cloudy state all day, mm-hmm. and it becomes more challenging to deal with things that come your way. Yeah, it's and like you have a more, rumination. Yeah. You have more brain fog. And if you have more brain fog, that means you have more frustration with yourself, which means you then have, you're more likely to end up in some kind of pit of frustration and depression because you just kind of, you've got lots of problems to solve, but you can't solve any of them because your brain's not working properly. Yeah, it's like spinning all the plates. And Yeah. The other thing I do is 
make lots of to-do lists. Just always, just do it. Just take stuff out of your brain that doesn't need to be in your brain. Because mm. quite a lot of the, the the stress comes from having to hold lots of things in your head at the same time. Obviously, it's different if you have like actual a biological reason for the reason you have depression or something like that. You probably have to like treat it a slightly different way. But for most people, that probably isn't the case. It's mostly just the result of like you haven't quite developed certain habits and things like that. But if your brain, if you're trying to hold loads of information in your brain, particularly information you don't need to have in your brain, like a to-do list of tasks you have to complete, your brain is going to spend so much energy juggling those things around, being like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and all mm-hmm. the constituent parts of those tasks. Whereas if you write write them down, make a to-do, to-do list, it can be a huge to-do list, and like an overwhelming to-do list, but you can then look at it and it's really easy to yeah, you can tackle look at and it, target. And you can also not look at it and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's so. not going anywhere. And then you don't have to think about all that stuff. And then when you're ready like and you're ready to sit down and do some work, you've got a tangible list of tasks that need to be done. And then it's a lot easier to be like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing uh, this vocal edit or whatever. Cool. I know what that entails. I'm just going to go and do that. Yeah, bite-sized pieces. Yeah, and then you're 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 ticking it off. You've got more brain space for actually the creative stuff, and there's less nonsense going round and round in your in your grey matter. You're just able to function better because yeah. you're less in less stressed. There's less cortisol flowing through your body. Yeah, I I, I think you can hit the nail on the head there. I, I'm fairly similar. I I have to have quite a strict routine. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of struggled for years with this AD and I've just literally went to the doctors and they've told me I've got ADHD, so I'm on the waiting list for an actual referral. But that's been really great because now I know... I'm that, scared to do a test, more uh, certainly. Yeah, hey, man, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. me, me and you are just... Yeah, yeah that's 100%. Um, but that, that's been really good because then you kind of read about it and you're like, oh, that's because of that and that's fine. And so it's it's like a bit of resolve. I need a bit more routine than you. Yeah. Uh, so I have... Yeah, I'm the same. I've got a lot of to-do lists and then I have to have like... I've got a a micro habit list. I have to do morning routine, evening routine. I've been getting into more kind of meditation. I've started like doing breath work and I'm training to teach breath work. And that's been really valuable because it's time for me. It doesn't matter what brand of, you know, hippies. Stuff you want to do, yeah. It's you taking yourself away from the noise and doing that for you. And as you say, it can be going, walking to the shop. It can be, meditate it can be anything and then having the shutdown routine of you know i write my list before i go to bed so it's there i journal as well yeah so i think journaling meditation breath work and yeah then to do's are like are my staple for it's, keeping me the meditation thing's interesting because it's like the point of that and the point of all of these kind of little things that we do is to organize our own brains on our own conscious terms yeah and not like because like a lot of mental health issues stem from you just kind of being a passive passenger to your own thoughts and you're letting your your monkey mind take over do the talking and people need different levels of this like you might need to do more okay i'm going to sit down and meditate for a bit whereas for me i might go on a half hour walk Mm. and just be like mouth closed breathing through my nose only like something in my ears and i'm just 
basically power walking my yeah. way through. And that for me has the same effect of of like doing meditation. And it's you taking that time. It's me taking that time mm. to do that thing and arrange my brain on my own terms. The biggest thing that I see with people like struggling with their mental health is this that they're kind of just on a train that's going somewhere and they're just getting dragged along and thrown around yeah. by whatever their brain chemistry is doing at that moment. Yeah, And, and then it becomes very difficult to rein that in and you have to kind of continually rein that in. What I find works for me is a bit of balance in that element. Like I, if I have the same routine for like too long without any break in it, that begins to have diminishing returns. This is just for me. So I, then I find, like, if I break that up by doing something else completely, like, it has to be it has to be completely like going on holiday or, for me, it'll be going on tour or something like that yeah. where I'm away. My routine has to be broken because it's all, either it's, like, the other side of the world, so there's no, like, it's a different time zone, so automatically it's all fucked. But then doing that, you're forced into... You get all the kind of dopamine of doing new things and it forces your mind to kind of rejig things. And then when you come back, you settle back into your routine. And that routine seems way more therapeutic after you've had some time away from the routine. And everyone's different in that sense. That's not that exact method might be like catastrophic for some people, but that's what works for me. I'm very similar and I got very overwhelmed. I've just been on holiday, very overwhelmed and. you know, there's there's two two pointers. I speak to a lot of people about this with their kind of mental health, and it's you know we just kind of briefly talked about the kind of monkey mind. People let their own thoughts kind of chat, and the thing is with your unconscious mind is that it doesn't care. It just wants to be at the forefront. So you know, one minute it will be telling you to do this, and that fails, and it will completely switch sides. There's yeah. a really interesting book on this called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, which is about that. So that's like on my peripheral a lot where I have to be like, no, I'm not my thoughts. Yeah. And then the other thing I I kind of remind myself a lot is that kind of very stoic thing of like, you know, situations and thoughts are only as bad as I interpret them. Yeah. And so I have the choice to decide if that situation or that thought is negative or not. And I think people forget they have that power. Yeah. And this is related to what they talk about. Is that Vic? Victory Frankl book uh, about him being in a concentration camp. He's yeah. the guy who invented logotherapy, and I think the book's called Man's Search for Meaning. And he he kept hope yeah. in that awful situation because he's like, they can't take that away from me. Yeah, yeah, they can cut my fucking hair off and starve me, but they can't take they that. can't yeah. take that away. And I, you know, when I'm feeling sorry for myself, I always think about that scenario, and that sounds really morbid, but it's not. Yeah, because it proves that you can do it. It's about in those moments is is doing something that takes back control over that system it could be like a minor thing that's why like for some people it's meditation for some people it will be like heavy exercise in the gym yeah some people are like for me it will be like a, a a walk a good solid walk like that kind of thing where you're you're taking control of the situation you feel your mind kind of wandering in a negative way you just you just have to grab the reins. Even like going out having a shower, it has that just effect. Break that that break the cycle. Break that cycle. Break, break the, that moment. Break whatever the fuck's going on in your head by giving it a strong different stimulus. I I love a cold shower. Mm. That's a really good way of like 
if you're feeling a bit like what like wild should we say like cold shower that's like just a it's a hard reset it's like a reset yeah. button and then you're like yeah your negative thoughts might then build up again but you're you're taking an action to stop it in its tracks in yeah. that moment deliberately consciously so re- reminding your monkey brain that it's it's you the conscious version of yourself that's actually in control and yeah. not not a uh, not just your pure, you, you, not just your dopamine uh, receptors. Totally, and the, the really, you know, I I do cold showers as well. And the really interesting thing with it, I'm really bad at it, and I'm still like a bit, a bit of a pussy with it. But why that works so well is that your body, um, it, it the cold instinctively kicks in your fight or flight, and you're like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Then you do the cold exposure, and your body's like, it's you going to your body. You're not dead, you dick. Yeah. And then it, it kind of resets that whole fight or flight so then it can level you up. Yeah. And it's that simple because it's yeah. like, I'm not dead, I'm fine. And then it, it gets you from fight or flight into rest and digest very quickly. Same yeah. with breath work. Exactly. Really clever. But that's a very quick way. And it does, it, it invigorates you and it releases the right... You're getting a dopamine spike. But in like... In it, a really positive way rather than eating a donut. Yeah, you're, but you're you're generating a positive feedback loop. Yeah. With that dopamine spike, like, the, don't, like there's there's nothing wrong. Dopamine is a it's a it's part of how we work. We mm. you can't just get rid of dopamine. So it's about using those receptors like as positively as you can. And, and yeah, sometimes it. everyone's like like oh, you, you don't drink, but like yeah, I'll have a couple of drinks. That'll that'll be n- nice. Like spike your dopamine receptors for no real positive gain. But and that's that's also fine. But then. You also have to do the other things that that give you that dopamine urge as like you have to you have to also do the things that spike your dopamine that involves some level of suffering to you in the short term. Of course. And, and like it, a cold shower, and, like a like a breath work, which doesn't seem like suffering, but you're it's meditative, so it's like you're you're fighting the urge to get distracted to, to and go to, and play Nintendo or yeah, yeah, you're fi- yeah, or yeah, that, or even just you're fighting the urge to to you're fighting thoughts trying to get in to stop you to, doing that, yeah, 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 yeah. It's to stop you doing that. So you are putting yourself through some sort of discomfort deliberately. You, if you go and work out, same thing. Even if you go on a walk. And you know that you're gonna sweat, and you know that, like, you know that it's, you probably can't be asked, but you just do it anyway because you know objectively it's good to do. That kind of positive feedback loop with your dopamine receptors is super, super helpful I for agree. keeping your mental health like on a level. Yes, and we have become creatures of absolute fucking comfort, and now, yeah, anything worth doing, there's a modicum of struggle. There has to be. There has to be, because that's the universe testing if you actually fucking want it. But we prefer just now, just be like, oh no, and just fucking mug it off. Well, that's and- why so many people end up with lives that they fundamentally regret when they're 70. Yeah. Because they just live the most bog-standard grey yeah. lives because they're terrified of pushing the boat out. And I'm totally glad, like, I had a recording studio and it closed down. Yeah. I'm glad I did that. I would never change that because... Yeah. It was cool shit, and when it was open, it was wicked. I'm not going to change that. Yeah. Yeah, my band failed. I did it for seven years. Cool. Yeah. It just came to an end. Still did they it. They are but failures, but it was, the struggle was worth the fruit, you know. It yeah, was, exactly. And you kind of, you learn stuff from that, and you take away experiences from that, 
And it's not like, yeah, they're failures, and but you have to take L's. You you can't just if you only take wins in your life, you've actually got no sense. Those wins don't mean anything. And you also that, that's something I've really noticed, and I've had this discussion with my band about being in a band, which is a weird dynamic because it's a lot of having a bad time or being bored and mm. being like, this is shit. Like, I remember on a recent trip, we were sat in an airport, one of the bags was delayed on a different flight. So we sat in this airport with no sleep for like three hours, just in, and it was hot. It was like, ugh, gross. And we sat there, everyone's super grumpy, everyone's in a Ooh. foul mood. And it's just like, what? This is shit. Then like, you go and play an incredible show and you get that response from the crowd and you get that that a sensation of like that you did like that no drug will give you that you get kind of extreme elation that 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 level of elation and that sense is not possible you cannot have that without without the the suffering before it it's, it, it's not possible because no. you can't get yourself into a situation to experience that unless you suffer and ultimately the kind of real brain trick is that if you hadn't had that airport situation that show may have just been average because yeah. there, there's no point of reference, Yeah, as you say. I think that's the secret source of life, isn't it? Anything worth doing is going to involve you being out of your comfort zone. And that doesn't mean throwing yourself in the deep end of the pool. And there was a David Bowie quote about this where it's like, be, be in the water out of your depth, but you know you can still touch the bottom if needed. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. Don't just dive in at the deep end. That's fucking stupid. Just don't yeah. give up your job, get a loan, and yeah, yeah, that's go and dumb. that's dumb. But, but live on the edge of comfort. Yeah. Live on the edge of where, like, yeah, you're 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 sorted if things go wrong, but it would be spicy yeah, if things went a eggs, bit wrong. Yeah, yeah. Not all the eggs in the basket, but most eggs. Yeah. <laughs> enough to be like give you a sense of urgency. Yeah, I think I think that's perfect. We've yeah. just uh, we've just righted all the world's wrongs as well. And there we it's go. Just it's not even lunchtime, mate. So <laughs> nice. High five. <laughs> Excellent. Worst audio purchase and best audio purchase. That could be plugins, gear. Um, what's the stinky and what's the sweet? So probably the best audio purchase. I'll start with that one. The thing that's been like the most useful to me, probably my vocal chain, which I have had for years now, but that vocal chain's done a lot of things and it's got me a lot of work as a vocal producer. And I really like it. So that's my SM7B. Chandler TG2 and then um, DBX 560 the 500 series version of the 160 just buttered and I get lots of work for, for vocal production specifically so that's probably my best in terms of return on investment yeah that's done the thing um, worst probably be some of the random 500 series like shit that I bought thought that was cool and then never ever used it, sold it. It's like well, that was a that was a whole set of transactions that didn't need to happen. But I mean, they're probably good for for other stuff. Just for me and my workflow, it didn't really yeah. didn't really work. Plugins are plugins. I just yeah, like it's pointless even talking about them. Really, they're just kind of there. That's small bits of software. 
I've got loads of stuff on my computer that I've bought and barely used. Yeah, I think that's the... But that's an ongoing thing that's just going to happen that's for infinity, isn't it? Yeah. They're always reinventing the wheel every day, aren't they, with plugins. It'll be the next new... Same with hardware, you know, there's stuff coming out all the time. It'll be all the AI stuff next and plugins. Yeah, machine learning. It's to be wild. It's just Skynet. I yeah. think my, uh, my best purchase over the last couple of years is probably my Jim Root Telecaster. I've got a lot of joy out of that and i've owned a lot of guitars yeah a lot of guitars i used to have endorsements with framus yeah yamaha and pv so i've had some pretty high-end stuff and didn't even cost me loads it was pretty in pretty good nick second hand and it's just it's done so many records it's so consistent yeah and it's just perfect it does everything i need and yeah. It, yeah it was under a thousand quid so that's been by far not the most expensive purchase musical wise music wise but it's been the best i think my worst and i think we we talked about this before was that universal audio 710 that i bought as an upgrade which was loads of money and is they're just poo yeah they're, they're just not the one poo and the 610 the 610's lovely the valve one the 610 with the 1176 on it they're poo as well yeah like hella poo and i don't i don't know what I don't know where they fit in. Once again, 1176s suck on vocals. I will stand that's by that. Be, that's going to be the, the, the cut out of the this. theme. Yeah. I hate 1176 on vocals. I, apart from, there's one instance where I use it. If I want a vocal to be really like splashy almost, I'll put it right at the end of the chain after everything, like very slightly tickling. And that will be like slowest attack fastest release and just just tickling but other than that I never ever use it on vocals hate it on vocals it's horrible you're just hating on I just don't understand how anyone can well because that's what we're supposed to use Mary. yeah I know that's what that's YouTube what, tells you to that's use what, that's what everyone... believe me I tried I have tried and every time it's like this is whack so I don't anymore that's I've made, made my mind up good I'm glad you've come to that that decision. Right, moving on. What album or track do you really like the production on? I really like the way the new Bring Me The Horizon stuff sounds. Yeah, I like that. Really like that. That super like in-your-face wall of sound, but punchy as fuck. What, any particular track, or is it just like the whole overall? The, uh, all of their kind of stuff over the last couple of years. It sound it's super cooked, like it's... Squashed. Yeah, but like, the transients are hard as well. Mm. So it's not like, it's not squashed dynamically. It's, it feel, it's more like it's saturated, it's like thick and yeah. fat. And who's, the, who's doing that now? Zach Safini, he's done a few other things as well, and his mixes sound great. Big fan of it, it's super like... Everything's really big and dramatic. I think my record, and I don't actually like this record, but I love the way it sounds, is that Don Bronco technology record. That's Zach Savini. Zach Savini as well. Who else? Mixed it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Because the production was Jason Perry. Stefan, who uh, does stuff for Hive, he's working with Jason Perry in Germany at the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jason Perry from that band A back yeah, in yeah. the day. Yeah, he's, he's loving it. <laughs> and that was Dan Lancaster as well, and I love his stuff. Yeah, is that the 
Might be, it might be, because I know... And Ramesh did production on that as well. Yeah, he did some stuff. What was the... Um... And Ramesh, obviously, anything Ramesh touches just sounds absolutely delicious, so... I just love... I don't even really like the band. I just really like the space and how wide it is. Yeah. yeah and it's I almost think... like a rock record that a guy that does dance music has produced, because it's not... It doesn't fit into the boxes of, like... Oh, well, that needs to sound like a drum kit. It can sound like whatever the fuck it wants to sound like. Yeah, I think Dan Lancaster did this one. Yeah, Dan Lancaster did this one. Um, But the later ones were done by Zach Savini as well. I just really like Because Dan Lancaster got hired by Muse to be he who mixes Muse, and he's their fourth guy on the tour now. Didn't he do uh, Bring Me the Horizon record as well? Yeah, he did the, yeah, Ammo. Yeah. Horizon, yeah. yeah, sounds great as well. Interesting, interesting they've, style. They've got similar styles. It's like quite, it's big, wide, punchy, but it's like the dynamics are there, the transients are there, but it's also squashy and like pumpy and large and what makes it high energy. Interesting, I think makes it high energy. I think that for that kind of music, that's what it has to be. It has to be aggressive yeah. and high energy. That's the, the main kind of the main aim. So on the flip side, the flip side of that coin, what album do you really dislike the production on that you've heard and you're just like, eh? Any metal pre-2001. Okay. Just any, just anything. Particularly any kind of technical, anything sort of... I mean, yeah, some of the fucking... Some of the new metal bands had quite good production at the time. But like, that, that those were the really high-budget things. Any sort of anything heavy pre like 2000. That's broad. I mean that to be broad because a lot of stuff sounds horrendous. The one metal wise which really sticks out in my brain was the second Parkway Drive record with the ocean on the cover. Oh, right. I can't. And because the first one was done by the Kill Switch Adam, Adam D. Adam yeah. D did that and that was horrible. And the second one, they like had this big producer and this big budget and it it just sounds gross the songs are great but the david bendeth it wasn't david bendeth no, it wasn't bendeth no it was i can't remember who did it but it just it's like crusty and weird yeah i, I would agree with that um, one i only heard this yesterday and one of my favorite bands is a uh, american nightmare and they were like old early 2000s hardcore band that was kind of the first hardcore band I was really into. Yeah. And they, they also called Give Up the Ghost, so they changed their name. And yeah, their Love America record is one, it's in my top five records. I love the yeah. production. I love everything about it. And they just brought out an EP. Uh, and it, I can't remember what it's called. Let's have a quick look. Dedicated to the next world. And it sounds like someone got a Tascam tape cassette four track and they've like had a go and they've they've deliberately made it sound bullshit like i know black metal bands do that that's why i don't listen to black metal because i don't care how fucking niche oh we've deliberately made it sound shit but it sounds shit yeah yeah this is the same it's got like the track they've released has got some like weird like casio drum beat and when the drums come in it's all fucking cymbal it's just disgusting and it's really edgy, man, because it, it sounds, you know, really... Yeah, I mean, I guess some really bands trashy. try and step out there and do a thing, 
But I think fundamentally, like the problem there is you still, you can't get away with putting out music that doesn't sound cinematic these days on any genre. Unless you like black metal, but no one fucking cares. Like, cool, if you're doing black metal or you're extreme DIY hardcore punk, cool, fine, like it's expected your record's going to sound like ass. But if you're doing anything else and you're writing songs, then you just like, there's a level of like cinematicness that's essential. Well, you're listening to music for enjoyment, right? And like, yeah. as you say, those hardcore bands, we're going to put it out on DIY on a cassette. No one's going to fucking listen to it anyway, so it can be as trash as you want. Yeah. Same with black metal. It's mainly about the scene and being seen to do something within well, that we sold all 15 clique. cassettes. That's nice. what that clique is. Same with the hardcore thing. It's yeah. so cliquey. No one's... Yeah, those hardcore show. No, no. Loads of guys trying to impress loads yeah, of other guys. There's loads of guys there just flexing and like seeing who's the coolest in the room and who's got the most edgy record or the most edgy shirt on. And it, yeah, it's not. And as you say, I listen to music for enjoyment. And if it's I'm not, not 15, I'm not listening to music to show off to my mates how cool I am. Yeah, hitting that on the head there. It needs to be cinematic. It needs to actually sound nice. And then, you know, we can make it Do whatever sound. you want within that bracket. Like, yeah. sure, do whatever cool tonal stuff, experiment, sure, fine. But just make sure that when people listen to it, it's not like they're not pulling their headphones off in disgust because it yeah. sounds awful. And we've got to a point where everything can sound really nice because of these amazing tools. And it actually boils down to now, is the song bullshit or is it great? That, this for is, me... This is where, like... Something I also like about the new Bring Me the Horizon stuff is it is crusty. Like it, it like you can tell the vocals are heavily edited. Loads of like like artifacts everywhere, auto tune, loads of distortion and everything. Like some of the sub drops are a bit too much for the mix and it clips it all slightly, but it's all sounds huge. And it, all all that stuff is done creatively within that framework. So it actually sounds really good and contextually works, and together. Yeah, contextually relevant and together and coherent. But that's all you, all you want. Um, yeah. So moving forward, what is your current like jam? What record or what album or EP is like? Can have a look. Is like in in your brain. Do a leaper. I've been actually listening a lot to Do a Leaper's last album recently because I think that is just. That's the pinnacle of like pop production at the minute. That album sounds incredible. Really up front, really dry up front, vocal. but like big. Yeah, and like it's not even that dry. It's quite sort of ATZ, but like in a modern way. So yeah. like, it's not all chorusy ATZ, but it's like big and there's some reverb and the bass is deep and large and it, it's cool. I love the sound of those records because there's like it's almost like a bit of the mids kind of hollowed out and it's just yeah. delicious. Yeah, exactly. Any specific? Yeah, a future nostalgia album. It came out a couple of years ago. But that's the that's the one that you're you're spinning. That's been a reference for a lot of stuff since right. it came out for me. And I, I like that. That's not uh, it's not like metal or rock. Mine, mine's like not quite as uh, pop as that. But I've been spinning this record by a band called Pearly Drops called A Little Disaster, and it. It really reminds me of like um, early Grimes, like Grimes' first record. Yeah. It's got that like ethereal, Weirdness. like pop thing going Weird on. Weird pop alt fairy yeah, type and thing. It just, I can't stop listening to it. And it's just, it's got, 
it's got a bit of like the cure like guitar vibe going mm. on there that like that kind of chorus Jangly roland thing, jazz yeah. chorus thing going down but it's just really yeah it just sounds like old grimes and i'm just it came on i was like it was very familiar yeah it's like the kind of star wars reboot you're just like oh, it's like a warm blanket yeah like, sort of thing yeah yeah and so that's been like that's been a jam that's been happening and i've nice. almost killed it i've done well yeah i'm a big fan of the uh sounds great as well the latest polyphia record oh yeah it's just they're 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 one of the few bands that's properly like like i hate the phrase but like pushing boundaries because they like really are it's they weird are. it's a weird album but it's like it's cool. It sounds brilliant. Yeah, there's lots going on there. There's lots of trap. There's lots of rock. There's lots it's of hip hop. Cool. And it's like it's part instrumental. A couple of the tracks of vocals on, and that's cool. I like that. I watched uh, a thing with uh, Tim on YouTube, and he was talking about the whole kind of whistly melody in one of the tracks. Yeah, to ego death. I can't yeah. remember. And he just like, yeah, I just got some guy on Fiverr to do it, and then we edited it up. And he's like really transparent about just getting it done. And I really liked that because there was none of this sitting there like flexing, going, oh, the process is like, there's no like mystery. He's just like, this is... This is what we did. Good. I think that's just, that's cool that. I like that. I like that approach. I like that a lot as well. I think it's a great record. I've I've listened to that a lot. Yeah. Um, And yeah, they're, you're right. They're actually... Doing something the different. The saviors of the guitar because guitar music's bland bland and dying it's very bland and that's why for most bands it's about the song but with polyphia it's actually about the cool guitar stuff cool guitar stuff cool technique cool and also good songs yeah all 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 under the bracket in the bracket of cool songs yeah final question you're gonna love this one (laughs) what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you that you are willing to share Thing is, I've developed like a real thick skin for like being embarrassed. So yeah, you can be when you were younger. My one's definitely when I was younger. See, mine I've got loads because I was an alcoholic. So like, there's a lot of attachment of shame and embarrassment to my behaviour for quite a long period of my life. I think in terms of embarrassing, in terms of recent years, I have had situations on tall stages where my trousers have ripped in front of hundreds of people. <laughs> That's like one of those nightmare fuel. Literally, like, literally. Like you, you wake up in a sweat and you're like... Oh, you, you end up school in school naked. Like, <laughs> well, funnily enough... <laughs> and like, my... literally ripped and I had like bright red loose boxes on. Oh, no. So it's just like... Have a look black, at my... black outfit. And then Here's just my junk, r- everyone. Literally. Probably like 300 people. Here's my junk. Enjoy my junk. Yeah, here's some skin. Here's some elbow skin for everyone. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Mine, you were just saying about being young and my, this, I must have been at first school. So I was, I was old enough to remember, remember that I was old enough. I, I, I developed enough to have empathy, embarrassment and shame. So I must have been five and I was, it was like one of my first, I think it was the first year of school and I crapped my pants and so I had my pants around my legs and they had to take me to the lost property thing and they marched me through the main hall 
right through like a gym class and everyone's pointing at me and I'm just like, but I'm going real slow because I got my tiny little panties and my, my trousers are at my, my feet and I'm like doing the shuffle and there's obviously some, that is, some poo and I'm just like shuffle along going. That is nightmare. Oh, this is horrible. That's horrendous. So yeah, that's some, that's like some fucking trauma. I'm almost certain I have similar stories. I think I've just, I've, bl- I've blocked out a lot of my school years. See, weirdly you should say that because I didn't remember that one until I... I went to Holland and did a did psilocybin retreat, and then I was like, <laughs> "I fucking rem- like that was that was in there." There was just a, like a there was a pin, yeah. and then I was like, "Oh, that happened," and my mind had just blocked that away because it must have traumatized the shit. Out Maybe of me. if I do a fat mushroom trip, I'll come up with loads more stories. Yeah, but the good thing that it happened whilst I was on a mushroom trip is that I was able to like unpick it and deal with it in a very positive way. And now, obviously, I can share that. Yeah, and also, it's like you can couch it and cool, yeah, fucking single-digit-aged child shits himself. Cool, fine. Well, I mean, that's not an... No, it's not uncommon, is it? It's not like 35-year-old guy shits himself. I think if I shat (laughs) myself in public now and did like a a trouser shuffle across the room, I'd think it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, it would be very Uh, funny. So that's kind of reframing it. Very funny, just in like fucking... Just in the Harlequin in Red Hill. Yeah. Just like the shopping centre. I could ticket it, couldn't I? I could do a ticketed gig and yeah. just, just do laps of the stage. With, just the, the shit merchant. Yeah, I could just eat loads of bread and loads of stuff I'm allergic to and just... Probably gross shits as well. Yeah, like smelly be, ones, like, like stinking the whole place out. <laughs> just like to the uh, to the background music of like some classical, maybe... Maybe the... Is it the 1080 Overture? With the cannons? Yeah, yeah, or the... That'd be so proper dramatic, or like just like some of the music from Les Mis. Oh, that'd just be playing great. in the background. Yeah, this is great. Let's make this happen. No, there let's not make this happen. <laughs> and I think on that <laughs> the note, shit show, yeah, the Phil Bashford shit show, Phil's shit show. Yeah, <laughs> awful. Uh, so on that pooey note, nice. Uh, this has been the Blood Sweat derailed fast. <laughs> this has been the Blood Sweat News podcast. I'm Phil Bashford, and I'm Eric De La Fuente. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>